And you that have been with us, we are walking through this letter of Colossians right now. Passage by passage. And this is where we land today at verses 20 through 21. So let's read those together and we'll pray. Colossians chapter 3 verse 20. Children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So in the sovereignty of God coming through this book, through this letter to the Colossian church, this is where we land this morning. Let's pray that God will help us. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much, Lord, for your word. These precious Precious truths that speak with authority and grace, God, in our lives, in every area of our lives. God, I pray that you would give us understanding from these words. God, move our hearts to obey you. Move our hearts, God, to walk with you. Please help us this morning. God, I pray for the young children here this morning. As your word, by your spirit, you address them. God, I pray that you would open the hearts, open the eyes of the young children that are represented here this morning, Lord. Lord, I pray that they would be raised up here in the glory of your name, hearing of your glorious gospel. And that you would save the souls of these young children here. That you would draw them to yourself, God. That you would let them feel the grace that those children felt when you said, let those little children come to me. And you wrapped them up in your arms. God, very early on, as young children, Lord, let them feel the weight of their sin. Let them feel a hatred for sin, God, and the just punishment that is due their sin. And I pray they would run to the cross. God, so many parents and just brothers and sisters that love these kids around this room. And God, we plead with you. We ask you, please, to do a work among these children here. For the older children that are represented here, God, I pray that you would help them see that time is short. That days are passing. That moment by moment, God, the end is drawing near. And I pray, God, they feel an urgency in their souls, God, not only to believe on you, to put their trust in you, Lord, but to live their lives on fire for your glory. God, do that in these kids' lives, please. Please, Lord. God, I pray for parents here. That you would fill us, God, with hope. That you instruct us in your word, God, on how to be parents, God. That you, that you, fill, us, you fill us with wisdom from your word on how to be parents. God, I pray that you would, you would fill our hearts as parents with thankfulness for that. Thankfulness for what you've done. And help us to walk out obedience to your word. God, for parents with children on the way. Parents that already have children right now. God, help them. Give them help from heaven through your word this morning. On doing this weighty, weighty job that you called them to. Help us, Lord, please. 
God, I pray for the couples here or any represented across our church, God, that have suffered pain and not been able to have children, Lord. I lift them up to you, God, that they would find their satisfaction in you, Lord, that they would love you, God, and they would find hope and comfort and rest, God, in you as a good, good father to them. God, help them to see that that You withhold no good thing, God, from those who walk with You. And Lord, You know what's good for them. I pray that they would trust You, Lord. God, I pray for parents that feel like they're failing right now. That they're failing. That they're struggling, God, to obey Your Word and to walk rightly as a parent. God, help them. Fill them with hope through Your Word this morning, please. God, I pray for parents that feel like, oh, in our church, God, I pray for parents that feel like they have already failed. God, fill them with hope and leaning against Your sovereignty, God, that You don't need the help of man to work in a child's heart, even when they're grown, even when they're... Adults themselves. God, I pray all across your, this room, God, from single people, God, to married people all across this room, God, that You would help us to lean into Your Word and find wisdom and instruction there. We love You, Lord. We need Your help and we praise You, God, that we have it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I want to start off here at Colossians 3, verse 20 and 21. Let me just lay out a few um, layers of context, and I want you to kind of carry these layers of context into this verse that we're looking at. A lot like those contexts that we walked through that Dustin taught last week on uh, teaching through wives and husbands. So think about these layers of context. It's right there in your study guide. Number one, the Colossians context. I want you to think about that. The context of this whole letter, this whole book, what have we seen? We have seen Jesus put on display in this letter as the supreme one, the sufficient one. We have seen the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus in massive ways, like he created all things for himself, for his glory, things invisible, things visible. Thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers, Colossians 1.16 said, were created through Him and for Him. Praise God. This is His sufficiency and His supremacy. And then, as we've worked through Colossians, we've seen that get more and more personal. Very personal. That not only is He supreme and sufficient in all things and massive things, but even in the small and personal things like your thought life, He is supreme and sufficient. In your attitude, in your desires, he's to be supreme and sufficient. It gets into your marriage in verse 18 and 19 of chapter 3 like we saw last week. And today we see that the supremacy of Jesus, the Lordship of Christ, it gets right into your parenting. Right into your family life. Right into your home life. We shouldn't be deceived. Jesus will not have half of you. Once you have given your heart to Christ... He will not stop until He conquers in every area of your life, including family. And that's what we see here in Colossians 
chapter 3. Everything conquered in our lives under the Word of God. Second, I want you to see a biblical theology context or, or a, a whole Bible context. And here's what I mean. The whole Bible speaks to us about what these two verses are speaking about. About children, about parenting, these things. The whole Bible speaks to us. I mean, from Genesis chapter 1, when we're told, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth to these people that were just created in His image. Therefore, fill the earth with the image of God. Of being fruitful and multiplying all the way to the last two verses of the Old Testament. So you go from Genesis 1 to the last two verses of the Old Testament. Speak about the father's hearts being turned to the children. The children's hearts being turned to the fathers. And all across this Old and New Testament. How, do, how does it display children to us? What is the vision that it casts for us? And it's things like this. Like if you go read Psalm 127. It says stuff like this. Children. Are an inheritance from God. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of warriors are, are children of our youth. And it says, Happy is a man who has a quiver full of them. And so, all throughout God's word, children are spoken of in this life of this vision of telling your children about your children, tell their children, and their children another generation. Joel. Chapter 1, verse 3. It's all over the law. When we, read, we read Deuteronomy of these words I command you today. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. All across God's Word, we have this vision of raising up this next generation, these children, for the glory of His name, and even to the ends of the earth. And so this vision is cast for us in a biblical theology of children all across the Bible. And I want you to carry that because if you get that vision, it carries some weight when you come to Colossians 3 verse 20 this morning. Last context I want you to think about is the cultural context in this culture. So I've given you a piece of the way the Bible talks about children, but in this culture, children are devalued or they're idolized. What we know for sure is parental authority. This idea of Colossians 3.20. Children, obey your parents in everything. This is pleasing to the Lord. This idea of parental authority is devalued in this culture. And it's neglected in this culture. Therefore, you need to know what the Bible says. Because your culture will influence you wrongly. About family, about children, about parenting. All of these things. Let me give you some examples of what I mean. This culture devalues children. They are not normally seen as a precious gift from God. They're certainly not seen as arrows in the hands of a warrior. And it's a reward to have the fruit of the womb. It's not seen that way in this culture. And you see this in the way the children are talked about. They're talked about being un unwanted. You know, don't, uh, don't want children. That's an undesirable burden. I certainly don't want very many of them. Don't want children. You can see it in the way unborn children by the thousands are murdered week after week in this country that they are devalued. You can see this in the way children are neglected in this culture for, for more important things like careers and money and comfort. So children are devalued in this culture. You need to know that you live in a culture that can influence you in that way. And if they're not devalued, number two, they're idolized. Children are seen as a way. This is where I find meaning in my life. This is where I find 
purpose in my life. And that's a terrible tragedy to parent and child. Children make a precious gift from God, but they make a terrible God. And third, parental authority. Children obey your parents. Parents as the head. Children under the submission of their parents. Parental authority is devalued in this culture. And even more than devalued, it's seen as negative. And even by those who don't see it as negative, tend to neglect it in this culture. And I want you to think about that for a minute. Because we tend to be influenced in these ways. Let me give you an example of how parental authority, parental authority is devalued in this culture. This is an article from a lady named Jan Hunt. And you can tell in the title of the article uh, what her hostility is. It says, 10 reasons not to hit your child. 10 reasons not to hit your child. And what I want you to see here is not only is parental authority in your culture being devalued, but people hate it. They want to illegalize it. Do you understand that? And I want you to realize where it's going. Listen to the very beginning of her article about 10 reasons not to hit your child as she comes against Discipline of any kind. In 47 countries around the world, it is illegal for a parent to spank a child. Yet in all of North America, physical punishment by a parent is still seen by many as necessary discipline and condoned or sadly even encouraged. For the past several years, many psychiatrists, sociological researchers and parents have recommended that we seriously consider banning the physical punishment of children. The most important reason, according to Dr. Peter Newell, coordinator of the organization called End Punishment of Children, is that all people have the right to protection of their physical integrity and children are people too. This article goes on to present reasons, 10 reasons why parental authority, children obey your parents and the Lord and the discipline that comes through that should be made illegal in this country. And that's the culture you live in. Thousands of likes of this article on Facebook. Thousands and thousands of attention being given to this organization. The culture you live in hates the idea of Colossians chapter 3 verse 20 and 21. And even among those, and I would say even in the church, among, among those who, who on paper uh, agree to this idea of parental authority that we see in Colossians 3.20. Even, even there, there tends to be a great neglect. Of walking these things out. And I want you to see this by backtracking a little bit to the mid-1900s. Okay, Now this time would have been considered by many the glory days of child training. Mid-1950s. These are the days when man, parents really knew what they were doing. Right? And if you look at this uh, conversation between two Germans. One of them named... Karl Barth, a theologian, another one named Karl Zuckmayer, a writer. And these two Germans are from the outside looking in, writing about parenting going on in America in what many people see as the glory days of parenting. And listen to what they say. I want you to see the neglect in this. If one has lived in America and seen in countless cases what injustice is done to children, one has enough of it. What injustice is he talking about? One sees too much that someone hidden behind the misunderstood psychoanalytical maxims allows them, allows the children to become little tyrants and ill-humored dictators. Dictators whom adults crawl in front of for pure convenience only to get peace. 
And one sees how this takes effect in the unfortunate adolescent. When they brought up without authority, brought up without authority, are confronted with the difficulties of this life. And I read that and I thought, wow, what would he say about today? What would he say about now? Let's hear what the Holy Spirit speaks into this sort of situation. Look at verse 20 with me. Into this culture, this is what's spoken. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Here we see the God of all wisdom, the God of glory, the King, the one that knows all things, putting out parental authority as the godly way to move in the Christian home. Plain sense of this, he's addressing children. It says children there. He's addressing the children. This includes younger children. This includes older children that are, that are under the care of their parents still. So younger and older children are included, included in this phrase. And he's calling them to obey their parents. That's mother and father. Obey your parents. And he gives a scope to which they should obey. The scope he gives is in everything. Obey your parents in everything. And then he gives you a reason in everything for this is pleasing to the Lord. This is pleasing to the Lord. I want you to be aware there are some twisted views of parental authority that float around this culture that might have latched on to your mind. There are twisted views, for example, parental authority being viewed as a suppression of freedom. As if parental authority is a, is a parent putting his thumb on his child and suppressing his freedom to do things that he could do and wants to do. That's a, that's a false version of it. And to kind of get to the heart of that, I just want to ask a question. Think about this question. Is a child that is undisciplined by a parent and held to no standard by that parent, are they truly free? Are they truly free? They're undisciplined by their parents and not held to any standard. Are they truly free? And the answer is obviously no. If you think about it, a child left to himself is the way Proverbs says it. A child left to himself is enslaved to confusion, enslaved to fear because they don't have a parent that's giving them loving guidance. They don't have a parent that's there to protect them and show them in ways that's right. So they're enslaved to fear. They're enslaved to confusion. It's one, one commentator called the freedom of that child, the freedom of a ship out to ocean with no rudder. It's the idea of me, imagine me taking my four-year-old, Anna Claire, and I just take her to the front door, and I push her out the front door and slam the door, and I say, go ahead, baby, you're free. You're free to go. Guess what happens to that sweet child? She's paralyzed in fear by her confusion. She doesn't know where to go. Nobody's giving her any boundaries. She's paralyzed by fear. She's enslaved to fear because she's out there on her own. That's not freedom. But true freedom is found in the child that is under biblical parental authority. Think about it. Boundaries are given. A space is is marked out for them to be free in the midst of. They're not enslaved to confusion. They're not enslaved to fear because parents have, have set the stage for their freedom to be lived out. Imagine me rather than pushing out the front door. Imagine me taking that same little girl out to the backyard. 
And I'm sitting out on my deck and I say, you go play, baby. Stay within the boundaries of this fence right here. You'll be just fine. And I'm going to watch you from here. Imagine the safety that she feels. Imagine the direction that she feels. And she walks in freedom in those boundaries. And in that context, if you think of that context of true freedom being given to granted to that child, then here's what discipline the discipline of a child. Here's what discipline becomes in that situation. Discipline becomes a rescue mission. A rescue mission to a child that has stepped outside the boundaries into the danger zone. And you want to discipline them and bring them back in in a rescue mission to help them to love them. Do you understand that difference? There's a verse for that in Proverbs 23 verse 13. It says, do not, listen, do not withhold. Discipline from a child. For if you strike him with a rod, if you discipline him, he will not die. He says, but discipline him with a rod and deliver his soul from Sheol. It's a deliverance. It's this parental authority. They go outside the boundaries and you go, you're going to have to deliver them. Come back in to a safer zone. Don't go out there where it's dangerous, where you where you get hurt. So biblical parental authority grants a child true freedom, much in the same way God grants that to us as his children. Think about Psalm 119, verse 45. It says, it says, Psalm 119, 45 says, we will walk about in freedom, for we have sought out your precepts. It's the boundaries and precepts of God. And in the midst of that, I will walk about in freedom in the midst of the boundaries and the precepts of God. I want to talk to you now about a great tragedy. And it's the tragedy of a home that neglects parental authority. It neglects Colossians 3.20. It's a tragedy, just as I said. Parents to, for parents to neglect authority by not holding them to a standard of obedience, by not disciplining children whenever they cross those boundaries of Disobedience, it's tragic for the children and for the parent. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15. It says, the rod and the rebuke give wisdom. Think about that. The rod is discipline and the rebuke teaching them, warning them. Those things, the rod and the rebuke give wisdom. But listen, a child left to himself. Left to himself. Outside, neglected the rod and the rebuke. Neglected the care for these sweet children. The, a child led to himself and says, bring shame to his mother. That's tragic. It's a tragedy. Proverbs 13 verse 4. It says, he who spares the rod. It doesn't, notice it doesn't say he spoils the child. It says, he who spares the rod hates his son. That's, they neglect the parental authority laid out in Colossians 3.20 that sometimes includes discipline. They spare that. And those who spare the rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him promptly. And so do you, do you see that, that? This is a tragic thing because that's a hated child that doesn't have Colossians 3.20 being lived out in his life. Just like over in, in uh, I believe it's Hebrews 12 verse 8. When it speaks about a child that doesn't have a parent that loves them enough to care for them and discipline them. It says they are, they are like illegitimate children. They're no sons at all. This is how you treat them when you don't walk them into this. Proverbs 19 verse 18 says, Discipline your son for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Do you see the tragedy in that? 
That when you don't walk out parental authority, you're killing him. You're killing that child. You're putting him to death in a sense. It's a very tragic thing. If you don't teach your children to come under your loving parental biblical authority, then you are teaching them to deny the authority of God in their lives, to, to deny the authority of God's word. And let me, I'm going to share a quote from J.C. Ryle who believes that. J.C. Ryle believes, uh, man, do you guys know, you, you all know that I look up to, he, he, he believes that, that the way a child is taught to be under the authority of his parents is teaching him how to be under the authority of his heavenly parent. And so in, in light of that, listen to what he says. Teach them to obey while young or else they will be fretting against God all their lives long and wear themselves out with the vain idea of being independent of his control. Now, you see the tragedy of neglecting what we're talking about in Colossians 3.20. Right, so what is the thing now about what is the standard? What is the standard that children should be held to in a Christian home? And you can fill in your blanks right there in your sheet. Pervasive obedience. Pervasive obedience. Now by pervasive obedience, I mean obedience in all areas of life. I mean obedience to all commands from parents. I'm getting this from the phrase, in everything. Colossians 3.20 Children, obey your parents in everything. This is pervasive obedience that we're talking about here. Now, now I realize there are obvious exceptions to that. Where children should not walk with their parents in the sin because they have a greater authority, which is God Himself. Which is part of the reason Jesus said, if anyone loves father or mother more than me, is not worthy of me. So I realize there are exceptions, but that's not what this is drawing our attention to. This is drawing our attention to a pervasive obedience that, that children are due their parents. The obedience in their disposition, that they have a heart that I want to submit to my parents. That's the standard. And not only the disposition, but the actions that they actually obey their parents when they are spoken to. Parents of Grace Community Church, are you holding out this standard to your children? Are you holding out this standard of pervasive obedience to your children? Something I found helpful. The word here for obey in Colossians 3.20, it literally means to hear under, to hear under as in to, to listen with the intent to respond to the authority. I'm listening, hearing under, listening with an intent to respond as to an authority. That's the idea of this word. So a child's obedience begins with how they hear your words. A child's obedience begins with how they hear your words. Not a shallow hearing. Not a hearing to contemplate whether or not what daddy says is right or wrong. And therefore I'll do it or won't do it. But a hearing under them. A hearing under authority. A hearing that when I speak. When a parent speaks to them. That they listen with I want to obey. I want to be subject to what they're saying. That's the standard that's held out in children. Obey your parents in the Lord. Obey your parents in everything. Excuse me. And I just want to encourage you in this. All the parents in the room. I, I think if you think of obedience like that. Of hearing under. It begins with how they hear your words. There's a glorious simplicity that comes to that. So I, I want you to be helped. If you're a parent. I want you to be helped by this. It, 
as a parent, you do not have to figure out a million different situations and how you will respond. You understand that? You don't have to figure out what if this happens, what if this happens, what if this happens, and how am I going to respond to all of that? What you have to do, you have to teach them to respond to your words. That when you open your mouth, they hear under you. That you open your mouth, that you give a command, you give a charge, you give a warning, and they open their ears, they lean in, and they listen and are subject to you. That's what you need to lead them toward. Not figuring out every situation, but leading them to hear under you. And I'll just say that, that I feel like that has given me uh, a glorious refreshment in the simplicity of that over the years. Question. Why should Colossians 3.20, parental authority, why should this be lived out in Christian families? And very quickly, I'll give you four reasons. Four reasons that you should go after living out Colossians 3.20 in your family. Number one is to put the fatherhood of God on display. Think about that. All the ways that God reveals Himself, He's King, He's majestic, He's sovereign, but the sweetest of all has got to be that He says, I'm a father. I'm a father to those who are my children. And what a weight, what a glorious weight, fathers, that you imitate that, that you're the first lesson that a child gets about the character of God and in His fatherhood. What a glorious weight is there. So we should live this out to put the fatherhood of God on display. Number two, to train them for the hearing that leads to faith. To train them for the hearing that leads to faith. Now here's what I mean. In teaching them to obey, so hearing their parents under authority and teaching them to do that, you're teaching them to hear the authority of God's Word and therefore hear the authority of the Gospel being preached. Think about Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And as they learn to hear under your authority, they learn to listen and to hear the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about 2 Timothy 3, 15. He says, from a child, Timothy, from a child, you've known the Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation, which is through faith in Christ. Salvation is through faith in Christ. But Timothy, through his knowledge of the Scriptures, because he was able to listen to the Scriptures of God, had become wise to listen to that glorious Gospel in which he would put his trust. So a lot's at stake here. You see how important that is in parenting. A lot is at stake here. The stake, their souls are at stake here. Number three. So why live out Colossians 3.20, parental authority in the family? Number three. In order to give them a standard that will help them see their need for Christ. Do you understand that? Give them a standard. Give children a standard that will help them see their need for Christ. Think about it like this. If you hold out to your children a biblical standard of true righteousness. I mean, external what they do externally and internally the attitude with which they do it. If you hold out for them that biblical standard, every child will see their lack of ability to keep that standard and therefore they will see their need for Christ. Do you understand that? That when you lay out the biblical standard and you don't drop it, but you, keep, you hold it up high, children obey your parents and everything, you pave the way for them to see that they can't keep that standard, therefore they need a Savior. They need Christ Jesus who died for them. People who lower the standard make Pharisees out of their children. 
Especially if it's a religious home. They teach their children to be religious. And they give them a standard that you know what? I can keep that standard. Therefore I have no need for a savior. You create Pharisees. When you don't hold to this Colossians 3.20 standard. For your children. Fourth, and this is the one that Colossians 3.20 actually points us to. Why? Why live this out in the home? It says in, it says in verse 20. For this pleases the Lord. I love that. Because it pleases God. In other words, it's about Him. It's not about you and me. This is not about mama's days and children alone. Although a well-ordered household benefits all. But it's not ultimately about them. This is about pleasing God, the creator of the family, the creator of children. That we live it in such a way that He is pleased. That He is, that he is well pleased. And what a sweet way to get to do that. A well-ordered family. According to Colossians 3.20. Pleasing to the Lord. Now what stops parents from exercising biblical parental authority? What stops them from doing that? And you could say several things. You could say the priority of pleasing God is out of place. And therefore they don't do this. You could say laziness. Because it's hard. Parenting is hard work, right? So you could say laziness stops us at times from living out this biblical standard. You could say just being distracted. So many other things going on and yet... When your children are gone, the things that have distracted you, will it be worth it when they're gone? Will it be worth it when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for your parenting before God? Will it be worth it all the things that have distracted you? So you can just say several things, but one thing I want to highlight is unbelief. What stops parents from living out biblical parental authority in Colossians 3.20? And I would say unbelief. In the means that God has ordained to lead children to Himself. It's God that saves children. It's God that leads them to Himself. He does that. But God so often does it through means. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. That's the means. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Do you hear that? Do we believe in the means that God uses this means? Don't pull back from it. Engage in the means of parenting, training up children and teaching them the word and then discipline the training and admonition of the Lord. Raise them up in that and trust in God that he uses his means of parents to lead children to himself. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to move to that next verse. But before I do, I just want to say something directly to children of Grace Community Church and really all children in this room. Okay. Because in Colossians 3.20, it addresses them. It says children. It speaks to them. So, so children in the room. I want to see, I want to see everybody. Throw up a hand. If your parents nudge them. If they don't now listen. Children. Some of the old ones are like, I'm not a child. Yeah, if you're under your parents' authority, you're a child. Hand up. Okay, yeah, there we go. Children, I want to look at you all. Okay. Back there. Children. Listen to me. Are y'all listening to me? The Spirit of God, you put your hand out. The Spirit of God addresses you. The Spirit of God addresses you, right? Did you hear this? Children, it says. The Spirit of the Almighty God addresses you. He, He speaks to you right here in this verse. Children, obey your parents. In the Lord. And if He addresses you, do you know what this means? Kids across the room, do you know what this means? This means, children, you can walk with God. 
You don't have to wait till you're older. I'm speaking to children in the room right now. You can please God now. You don't have to wait till you get older. Do you understand that? The Spirit addresses you and says, Children, children, listen to me. You can walk with the living God. You can please Him even now. I want you to think about this. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 8. It says this about the young boy Samuel. It said, Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Did you hear that? Little boys, little girls. That the Lord was calling the boy. That's in God's Word. 2 Chronicles 34 verse 2. It speaks about Josiah who was 8 years old. And listen to what it says about this 8 year old. You listen to me children. It says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And walked in the ways of David his father. So, so then, why shouldn't you? Children, why shouldn't you? Man, I pray, I pray that God would move among the children of Grace Community Church in such a way that your souls are saved, that you come to rest in Christ, that you don't, and even past that, you walk with Him in a powerful way of obedience to God and loving God and affection to God and worship and prayer to God. Children, that you would walk with Him. Later on, it says about Josiah, he was 16 years old. Listen, 16 years old, and it says this. While he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. Why wait? Who says you had to wait till you get older, kids? Who lied to you about that? What did Jesus say about children? He said, Jesus said, kids, kids, you listen to me? Jesus said, kids, come back to your older, right? No, I see no. He didn't say that. He said, let the little children come to me. Let them come to me. Don't forbid them. Let those kids come to me. Nothing should stop you. I've been reading, kids, I'm still talking to you, about these historical revivals, several of them, where God moved in power. And these kids are meeting together for a prayer meeting. They're praying to God together. What vision do you have in your head of what kids, what degree to which kids can walk with God? Is it biblical? Children, you can walk with God. You can please God. So listen to me. Listen to me here. I want you to be thankful for that, that you can walk with God, children. Colossians 3.20 says you can please God. But listen, children, everybody listen, children, listen to me. I want to warn you about something. This says, children, obey your parents in everything for it's pleasing to the Lord. But let me warn you about something. In Hebrews 11, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Without faith, if you do not have faith in Christ, children, it is impossible to please Him. In other words, you are not just going to be a good little kid, a good obedient kid, and then enter into heaven, into eternity safely with Jesus. You've got to have faith in Christ. It's got to be the foundation of your obedience to your parents. Do you understand that? Children, faith in Christ. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So let me, let me use this command. Kids in the room, let me use this command in Colossians 3.20 as an example to you. It says, children, obey your parents in everything. Now, children, raise your hand if you've ever disobeyed that command. You've all disobeyed that command. Children, every one of you have disobeyed that command. Here's what I want you to understand. You put your hand down. I want you to understand that that's not a light matter. I want you to understand that it's serious. 
That it is not a light thing that you have disobeyed your parents. I want to say something that may be hard to you. Will you listen to me? In Proverbs chapter 30. Listen to me kids. There's a very hard to hear visual that God gives us about how serious it is to disobey your parents. Listen. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens in the valley and eaten by the vultures. Do you see that? What he's not trying to get across to you is physical damage is going to come to your eye. He's trying to get you to see how serious this is. That to disobey your parents, kids, is not a light matter. That it's so serious that the, the end note of all who disobey their parents is that they go to hell forever. And if I made everybody in the room, kids, raise their hands, all of us could say that we have disobeyed God in this way. Do you understand that? That we have disobeyed God being that we have disobeyed our parents. And it is not a light matter. But kids, you want to hear good news? Raise your hand if you want to hear good news, kids. You want to hear good news? Listen, there was one, there was one who obeyed his parents perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. You know who he was? Amen. Jesus did that. In Luke chapter 2, we see Jesus at 12 years old. And he says he submitted to his parents. He's the only one. You have disobeyed your parents, which is a serious offense to God. But Jesus obeyed his parents absolutely perfectly in every way. And then guess what he did? Guess what he did? He traded places with you. He traded places with you. Who deserves death? You children or Jesus? Who deserves death? Children do. You do. We do. But listen, Jesus takes our place at the cross. At the cross, this is what He did. Your sin of disobedience to your parents and everything else that you've done to disobey Him, it goes to Christ at the cross. He came to rescue. He came to deliver. And your disobedience was laid upon Him. And your punishment that you deserve, He took it in your place. He loved you and gave Himself for you. Is that good news? Kids, is that good news? It's good news that Christ has done that. And children, I want to encourage you to trust Christ. Every, every child here, I've prayed for you. Oh, my, oh Lord, I've prayed for you. And I pray for you that you will trust in Christ. That you will flee from the wrath of hell that's coming into the loving arms of Jesus who died for you. That you would not wait till you're older. Because listen to me, kids. It may be too late. You might have in your mind, that is a sinful tactic of the enemy to make you feel like you have plenty of time. But don't you know that a tornado could take you out this morning? Don't you know that? And I plead with you to come to Him, to trust in Him. All the kids across this room, before it's too late. Before it's too late. Let's go to verse 21. Colossians 3.21. Let me read it. Turns the corner to fathers. Fathers. Do not provoke your children. Lest they become discouraged. So now he turns the corner and begins to address. Not just parents in general. But fathers. Fathers. And think about it. He could have said anything right here. But he says fathers don't provoke your children. Lest they become Discouraged. Now, this is a guardrail that's given to us for parental authority. 
It's a guardrail given for parental authority. What is a guardrail? A guardrail is something that keeps you on the right path that doesn't allow you to fall into a ditch. So this verse is a guardrail as you aim to live out parental authority so you, you do not fall into a ditch. Now, why is there a guardrail here? Because there are sinful ways to apply parental authority. There are sinful ways to apply this truth in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. And so this verse acts as a guardrail, so restraint against the abuses of parental authority. Now, how should we understand this guardrail, Father's do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, many, many people have this question. It's a huge question that people always have and tend to never have clarity on. So I'm hoping, I'm asking God, Lord, give us some clarity this morning as we talk about what it means to not provoke your children to wrath. Now, to do that, typically a, a, a clarity comes through simplicity. I may have failed you there. I have five points. Okay? But what I need you to do is try to hear these five points with simplicity and you go back and summarize with simplicity these things on your own, especially you parents, of what does it mean to provoke children so that they do not become or so that they become discouraged. Okay, number one is very simple, and I hope you get a lot of clarity here. Just think about the meaning of the word provoke in Colossians 3.21. The word provoke means to stir up, to, to agitate, exasperate. To kindle like a fire is blazing. And who kindled that fire? Who stirred it up? Who provoked that flame? It can be used positively. Okay, It can be used in a good way. For example, 2 Corinthians 9.2 says your zeal has stirred up the majority. Stirred up is the idea. And he's saying negatively, parents, don't stir them up. Lest they become... Discouraged. So what's the, what's the idea here? The idea here is this. Children will sin. Just like you do now and just like you did when you were a child. Children will sin. They will struggle with anger and discouragement. That stuff will most definitely come. But listen, parents, don't be the reason for it. Don't provoke it. Sin in them is going to come out. But don't, don't let it be your fault unnecessarily. Do you understand that? That's the idea. Don't provoke them. Sin and, and anger and discouragement is coming. But don't let it be because of your unnecessary conduct, the words you speak, anything like that. Don't let it be started with you. Don't provoke them. Don't kindle this fire of disobedience of sin. Second thing I want you to think about, just getting a little more complex. Think about this. Why would a parent ever provoke their children? Why would they ever provoke their children this way? Why would they ever do that? No parent wakes up saying, you know what I'll do today? I'm going to kindle a little sin in Johnny today. Nobody does that. So why? why? Why would we need this warning? Why would a parent ever provoke their kids in this way? And the reason is because parents will be tempted to provoke their children because there's sin in their kids. That's going to lead the parent towards to be tempted towards frustration, irritation in those ways. They will then provoke you to provoke them with your attitude, with your words, something like that. Do you understand that? Think about it like this. There, there are qualifiers that are given in verse 18, 19, and 21 of this chapter. So think about the qualifier in chapter 3, verse 18. Dustin talked about this last week. It says, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. But here's the qualifier. As is fitting in the Lord. Now, why is that qualifier there? Is there because they are to submit to husbands that struggle with sin. 
that are sinful people. Therefore, submit to them as is fitting in the Lord. It's a, it's a qualifier that's meeting the sinfulness of the one you're to submit to. Well, what about verse 19? It says, it says, husbands, love your wives and do not be made bitter towards them. Why is that qualifier there? Don't be made bitter towards them. Why? Because you're to love a wife who struggles with sin. And you're going to be tempted in, the, in, in conflict with their sin to become embittered toward them. And then you get to verse 20 and 21. And it gives you this example of parental authority. Of parents as the head and children as subject to their parents. And then here's the qualifier. Fathers, don't provoke them. Well, why is the qualifier there? Because they're sinful creatures like you and me. And, and that sin's going to come out and it's going to frustrate you and irritate you in some ways. And you're going to be tempted to provoke them because of your sinful response. So he's saying don't, don't do that. Don't let your children's sinfulness provoke you to provoke them. To stir them up in negative ways. Third Third uh, phrase here for clarity. Let's consider the phrase, lest they become discouraged. The word discouraged there means uh, to lose heart or to be disheartened, to be dispirited. It's the idea of the child, the, the fire has been put out. The life's been sucked out of them. It's that idea that they're dispirited, they're disheartened kids. It's, it's discouraged. Now, we know that a child should experience the biblical authority of their parents. We just talked about that. But what kind of authority would, would produce a discouraged child? What kind of authority would produce a discouraged child? Well, the kind that provokes them, right? Well, what does that mean? How can it produce a discouraged child? It's, it's, in a sense, it's this idea of it's the kind of authority that always rebukes, always goes after the negative things, but never affirms the, the, the positive things. In other words, they're always there to say what's wrong. But never there to encourage, to give life, to give hope. So the kid feels like, I can never please. I can never please this mom and dad, no matter what I do. So I'm discouraged. Why should I even try? You understand discouraged? And therefore, how you could provoke them? What kind of authority produces the opposite of a discouraged child? Which is what we want to go after, right? The opposite of a discouraged child would be an encouraged child. A hope-filled Child, The fire in them is not put out, but it's set ablaze by their parents. It's that kind of idea. Well, this is the kind of parenting that not only gives them the, the warnings and the discipline and those things, but encourages them with the Word of God, the Word of truth, and builds them up and affirms them in their, in their, when they are right. Do you understand that? It's both sides. I, I think the best way I know how to say this, or I don't know how to say it, but, but J.C. Ryle says it like this. I think this speaks to what I'm talking about. He says, listen to this quote. Love. Love should be the silver thread that runs through all your conduct. Kindness. Gentleness. Long-suffering. Forbearance. Patience. Sympathy. I like this. A willingness to enter into childish troubles. I like this. A readiness to take part in childish, childish joys. These are the cords by which a child may be led most easily. These are the clues you must follow if you would find the way to his heart. And I think that speaks to that, that without that, that you tend to be one who discourages your child. But with that, alongside parental authority, 
You tend to be one who encourages them. Number four, I want you to consider the phrase in the parallel passage in Ephesians chapter six, verse four. It's, it's a parallel passage. It says the same thing, but it's a little different. It's a different Greek word here, although in the English is similar. It says in six, four, Ephesians six, four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So provoke to anger. It's not the, it's a parallel passage, but not the exact same Greek word. So it can give us some more insight. So what's the idea of this word? This word is emphasizing the emotion in a child of anger. Anger. So in other words, just don't make them angry. Now, obviously, every time a child is angry, every time a child is discouraged, it doesn't mean a parent's doing something wrong. You understand that? But what he's saying is this way that it's of your own doing, of your own fault, that you are making them angry because it's unnecessary. Here, here, here's the idea. Anger, what is the emotion that's most common when authority meets with those who are to be subject to that authority? And especially those who have to be subject to that authority. What's the emotion that meets that most commonly? Anger. Anger is what meets that. We, we see that all over. We see that in babies throw, or, or young children throwing tantrums. We see it in teenagers slamming doors. A little bit younger kids pouting or you know, the wrinkle of the eyebrow thing. Balling up the fit. We see it. We see the anger meeting the authority. And the father embodies authority in the parent-child relationship. And the child will deal with anger. And the anger is destructive to their souls. And so here's the idea. Guys, parents... The anger is going to be there. But don't let it be unnecessarily produced by you. Don't provoke them to anger. Don't provoke them to anger. That's the idea of this verse. And there's many ways to do that. There's many, many ways to unnecessarily provoke your children to anger. I just want to give one that's been really helpful to me. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 1. It says, listen to this. A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Hear it again. A soft answer. The Lord says, wake up. <laughs> Where was I? A soft answer turns away wrath. Listen to it. But a harsh word stirs up anger. So how can you stir up your kids to anger? How? By being harsh with them. The opposite of what J.C. Rowell just spoke about. Willingness to enter into childish joys and compassion and, and sympathy and, and love. To say it's the opposite of that. When you deal with them in harshness, fathers, you provoke them to anger. And last one, number five. I want you to consider what um, Ephesians 6.4 puts as the opposite of provoking children to anger. Okay, so, so what, what would you expect to be the opposite? Don't provoke your kids to anger, but what do you expect to come next? Make them happy, right? Don't make them angry, make them happy. But that's not what it says here. It says don't provoke them to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So if you do, it's giving you some positive things. That if you do these positive things, you're going to be much less likely to provoke them to anger. Do you understand that? So here we go. It's a helpful, it's a helpful verse here. So what is it? What are these positive things? When it says, let's give you a few little tidbits here. When it says, bring them up, bring them up, that is a word that has a tenderness to it. It's translated in the same letter in Ephesians as nourish. Nourish them. 
bring them up like, like a there's just a, a, a tender, loving care, a gentle caring for a fragile plant in its infancy. That's the idea. Imagine being like that, fathers, dads. Now, I want you to teach them the word. Should you discipline your kids? Absolutely. It says bring them up in the discipline, discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So, yes, word of God, teach them, warn them, uh, uh, deal with them in discipline with the rod as it spoke about in Proverbs. Do all of that, but do it in the Lord and do it in a way that you are nurturing this fragile plant that you love. You understand that? And when you do that, it's the opposite of provoking them. Let me give you a, one more quote from J.C. Ryle. Love is the one grand secret of successful training. Anger and harshness may frighten, but they will not be persuaded that, that you are right. Did you catch that? They might obey you. When they're afraid that they will not be persuaded that you are right. And if he sees you often out of temper, you will soon cease to have his respect. And surely reason itself must teach us this lesson. Children are weak and tender creatures. And as such, they need patient and considerate treatment. We must handle them delicately like frail machines. Lest by roughness, we do more harm than good. They're like young plants and need gentle watering often, but little at a time. You get the idea there? Bring them up in the training. Admonition of the Lord. Let me close um, by just taking a few moments. to. I just want to encourage mamas and daddies across the room. Okay? And, uh, you know, if you're not a mom and dad, then you may be a future mom and dad. I, just, I want to encourage moms and dads right now, especially. Though. Why do you think God gave us this, this charge? Why did he give us Colossians 3, 20 through 21? Children, obey your parents and everything is well-pleasing. Fathers, don't provoke them lest they become discouraged. Why do you think he gave us that? You think he gave that to you to discourage you? Was that his aim? Knew you were doing bad at this and wanted to give you a little discouragement today. Is that what the Lord's like? I hope you say no. He's not like that. God gives us commands that we can't listen to me. We cannot obey them in the flesh. But then God pours out Help from heaven. Do you believe that or do you not? In your parenting, God pours out help from heaven so that you can obey His commands. So trust Him. Moms and dads, trust Him. Why did He give this to you? To discourage you? No. He wants to help you do this. A verse that always helps me, has for several years in parenting, is Romans 8.32. You've heard me say it many times. It says, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not with Christ freely give us all things? Do you hear what He's saying there? There's this disposition that, listen, you think He sent His Son to die for you, Mama? Dad? You think He sent His Son to die for you, but then on the parenting thing, He says, you're on your own. You think He does that? I want to encourage you. God is with you. The one who raised Jesus from the dead is with you as you do this thing called parenting that seems so hard and you feel like you fail at so often. He's with you. Be strong and courageous because He is with you. Trust Him. I want to encourage you to trust Him. 
Most mamas and daddies in this room do not need more parenting advice. You need to trust God. Trust His words, His promises, His means. Discipline the Word. Trust Him. Lean against Him. Proverbs 19.80 says, Discipline your son for there's hope. There's hope. Discipline your son for there's hope. Trust Him. He's a prayer hearing God. You can call. You think you're going to call out to Him and He'd be like that father that the child asks for bread and he gives him a snake. You think He's like that? No. You're going to pray to Him. God, help me. Help my children, Lord. And God's going to move in almighty power. Trust Him. Trust Him. I want Grace Community Church to be filled with mamas and daddies that are full of faith in God in their parenting. Jesus, it says this about in the Gospels of Christ. It says, He did not do many mighty works among them because of their unbelief. I want us to trust Him. I want the, the, the mark of mamas and daddies in this room to be, you know what? It's hard. But I believe in God and my God loves me and He gave Himself for me. He's going to help me in this task. Press on. Mamas, press on. Full of faith. Mamas, and your diaper changing. Disciplining the kids for the same thing again. Teaching them the Scriptures and they just don't seem to get it. Laying down your life for them and you never get any credit for it. Involving them in your service to others, even though that makes it harder. Listen, sisters, press on in that. Keep moving forward in that. God's going to use it for His glory. Think about Lois and Eunice in 2 Timothy chapter 1. You remember them? Grandma and Mama? They poured the Word into Timothy and Timothy took the gospel all over the planet. Trust Him. Trust Him to do that. You ever heard of Jonathan and Sarah Edwards? Jonathan and Sarah, Sarah uh, many people know Jonathan Edwards, but his wife is Sarah Edwards. They were, he's a preacher in the Great Awakening, famous preacher. Um, let me give you kind of, this is an overview of that, you know, several centuries ago they lived. And so a lineage of several centuries of Jonathan Edwards and Sarah Edwards, uh, lineage of children that came from them over over a few centuries. Let's, let's listen to the, some of this. Some of this is important. Some of it's not. Nah, listen, it says one U.S. vice president has come from their lineage. Three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers and 100 missionaries. Ooh, the missionaries is my favorite there. I mean, but, but think of the influence that comes out of that line. Think about that. And, 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 and what produced this? What produced this sort of thing? Was it just was it only the great Jonathan Edwards that preached sinners in the hands of an angry God? Was it just because of him, mamas? That these that this happened to these kids? And I want to tell you no. And I have a I have I have a little quote from Jonathan Edwards, okay? Most intellectual thing he ever said. Okay? And he wrote a letter to his wife. His wife had been out of town for a good while, so it was just Jonathan Edwards and his kids. And he writes this. Intellectual as it can be. Listen. We have been without you, Sarah, almost as long as we know how to be. <laughs> the record shows that God used that weak woman who had many weaknesses, who had many 
seasons of downfall, all that kind of stuff. And God used that woman to send out 100 missionaries in the last few centuries. Praise the living God. I want, to, I, want you, I want to encourage you. Listen, who, who does this with children? God does it with children. But He uses means. Mamas, be encouraged that He does this. And, and let me move to fathers real quick. Fathers. A special focus is put on us here because it moves from verse 20 where it says parents and verse 21 where it says fathers. Why, why does he move into fathers right there? Well, one, because we're probably, we have more of a tendency towards this sin of provoking. Okay, that's one. So beware of that. But number two, there's a responsibility that lands on fathers in leading your home and raising up your children. In other words, if there's a problem with the children and God comes to the door, he asks for the man of the house. You understand that? The responsibility falls on the Father. So I want to encourage fathers. Be full of faith in God in your role. As dad to raise up children to the glory of God. Okay? I've been reading this autobiography. This is how I want to close and just encouraging fathers. I've been reading this autobiography. Uh, I've heard about it for a long time. And I started reading it recently about John Patton. You might know about John Patton. Missionary. Late 1800s, missionary to the New Hebrides. I mean, people had gone there and been eaten by cannibals. And he says, that's why I'm taking the gospel. Mighty man of God. What produces men like John Patton? God does, right? But when you read his autobiography, you see the one means that God used to produce a man, a missionary like John Patton, was his father. And you can read in that autobiography about, about John Patton's own record of what his father was like. And I read it and, and I, I, I cried, I wept, I said, God, I want to be a dad like that as I read that. So I just want to deliver that to you and just read you a few things from this biography in closing. Uh, dads, be encouraged to be a dad like this. John Patton was describing his father's prayer closet, prayer closet in their home. And this is what he said about his father's prayer closet. This was the sanctuary of that cottage home. Daily and oftentimes a day, generally after each meal, we saw our father retire, shut to the door. And we children got to understand by some sort of spiritual instinct, for the thing was too sacred to be talked about, that prayers were being poured out there for us. We occasionally heard the pathetic echoes of a trembling voice pleading as if for life. And we learned to slip out and in past that door on tiptoe not to disturb the holy conversation. And listen to the effect it had on him. Though everything else in religion were by some unthinkable catastrophe to be swept out of memory or blotted from my understanding, my soul would wander back to those early scenes and shut itself up once again in that sanctuary closet. And hearing still the echoes of those cries to God would hurl back all doubt with a victorious appeal. He walked with God. Why may not I? You think his father had an impact on him? Again, he's describing his father's prayers and he says this. How much my father's prayers at this time impressed me, I can never explain. Nor could any stranger understand. When on his knees and all of us kneeling around him in family worship, he poured out his whole soul with tears for the conversion of the heathen world to the service of Jesus. And for every personal and domestic need, we all felt as if in the presence of the living Savior. 
and learn to know and love Him as our divine friend. As we rose from our knees, I used to look at the light of my Father's face and wish I were like Him in spirit, hoping that in answer to His prayers, I might be privileged and prepared to carry the blessed gospel to some portion of the heathen world. You think his dad affected him? Describing his father leading family devotions, uh, daily devotion in the word and prayer. Man talks about uh, just the, the love for the word of God, the love for singing to God, these sort of things. He says this, none of us can remember that any day ever passed, any day ever passed unhallowed. In other words, no day went by without that sort of thing happening in the home. No hurry for market, no rush to business, no arrival of friends or guests, no trouble or sorrow, no joy or excitement ever prevented at least our kneeling around the family altar while the high priest led our prayers to God and offered himself and his children there. It speaks about his father's devotion to the church. That The church that they met in was, was four miles away. They had to walk four miles with 11 children. To go to church. And Patton says. During all these 40 years. My father was only thrice prevented from attending the worship of God. And if you read about it. One was because of a snowstorm. One was because of an ice storm. And the other one was because of an outbreak of cholera. Which he still tried to go. <laughs> he goes on to speak about. Patton speaks about the joy. And the excitement of that four mile journey to the church. With, his, with the 11 children. And he says. Each of us. The children, he's speaking on behalf of the children. Each of us from er very early days considered it no penalty, but a great joy to go with our father to the church. Never one of the eleven, boy or girl, man or woman, has ever been heard or ever will, will be heard saying this Sabbath was dull and wearisome for us. I love these examples. Let me give you one more and, this, and I'll close here. Last one. The first few chapters of this autobiography is worth the whole book if you want to go grab it. This is kind of a window into the life of John Patton and his father's love for him. And not only his father's love for him, but how that love impacted that child to go be a mighty man of God and a missionary. It's a little bit, uh, just two paragraphs here to listen to it. I want you to hear what happened. This is, this is during, uh, John Patton was a young man now, I think probably in his early 20s. About to head off uh, on a 40 plus mile journey to do some kind of schooling, I believe it was somewhere. Okay? So he's leaving and his dad's going to walk with him for the first six miles. My dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way. His counsels and tears and heavenly conversation on that parting journey are fresh in my heart as if it had been but yesterday. And tears are on my cheeks as freely now as then. Whenever memory steals away to the scene. <clears throat> for the first half mile or so. Oh, excuse me. For the last half mile or so. We walked on together in almost unbroken silence. My father, as was his custom, carrying his hat in hand. While his long flowing yellow hair, then yellow, but in later years, white as snow. Streamed like a girl's down his shoulders. His lips kept moving in silent prayers for me. And his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks for which all speech was vain. We halted on reaching the appointed parting place. He grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence. And then solemnly and affectionately said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Unable to say more. 
His lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears, we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could. And when about to turn a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me, I looked back and I saw him still standing with head uncovered where I had left him, gazing after me. Waving my hat and a dude, I rounded the corner and out of sight in an instant. But my heart was too full and sore to carry me farther. So I darted into the side of the road and I wept for a time. Then rising up cautiously, I climbed the dike to see if he had yet stood where I left him. And just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike and looking out for me. He did not see me. And after he gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, set his face toward home. And began to return. His head still uncovered. His heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. I watched through blinding tears till his form faded from my gaze. And I listened to this phrase. And then, hastening on my way, I vowed deeply and often by the help of God to live and to act so as never to grieve or dishonor such a father and mother as he had given me. May we as mom and dad live out the same. Let's pray. Father, I pray for deep love and patience and kindness in every parent in this room. God, I pray that you show us our weaknesses, God. If there's places where we're not holding to the true standard of parental authority, God, rebuke us and correct us and move us, Lord. God, help us to be faithful to these words. Keep us, God, from being provokers of wrath in our kids, Lord. But God, let us have a great impact on their souls. Let us love them deeply, God, and teach them your word and discipline discipline them properly. And God, let it be to the glory of your name. Help us as parents, God. And all who aren't parents, God, prepare them if that's what you have for them in the future, Lord. And prepare for them even now, God, to encourage those who are parents. Lord, I pray that you would raise up faith-filled men and women all across this room. That you would raise up a generation to the glory of your name, God. That when we die and we're gone, that we would leave behind us a generation that worships you. Please, God, help us. God, I pray for the children in this room. Lord, they heard it spoken a moment ago, the seriousness of their sin. God, let the seriousness of sin fall on every child. Oh, please, God, let it fall on them. And God, I pray for the cross of Jesus Christ to be lifted up before their eyes and that every child in this room would love you with all their heart and soul because they see what you did for them at the cross. Save them, Lord. God, take them past what the culture restricts them to, God, as if they have to wait to their older God. I pray they'd walk with you right now. That their prayer lives would be pleasing to you, God. That their reading your word would be pleasing to you, Lord. Raise up a generation and these kids, even now, that walk with you in true holiness. We love you, Lord. And we trust you with these things. In Jesus' name, amen.